we've been chasing security for the longest period of time in our lives. But one thing that is true about life is that it is not safe. Life itself is a very uncertain phenomenon. Nobody predicted we'll have coronavirus in 2020, right? Everybody was setting out 2020 to be the year that 2020, like that's the year. It's going to be my year. Like everybody started the year, think that, right? And then boom, we got hit by this pandemic and there are so many things that are happening back to back. Now we are all scared for the economy as to what's going to happen because of all the shutdowns and businesses going out of business, right? There's a lot of uncertainty that life generally has to offer. This is episode number 93 of The Inspiring Talk with Ajit Nawalka. Welcome guys to The Inspiring Talk. My name is Bijay Gautam. I'm your host for this show. Each week I interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potential. I'm very excited for my guest for this week, Ajit Nawalka. Ajit is the former CEO of Mind Valley, which is the largest online personal growth platform in the world. And he is the co-founder of Evercoach, the coaching division of Mind Valley. Ajit comes from Jaipur, where he lived with 22 other people under the same roof. He started his career as an intern at Mind Valley in 2008. He went on to become the CEO of the company later on. After a while, he realized his passion on empowering coaches and trainers to create positive change in the world. He co-founded Evercoach, a coaching division of Mind Valley, along with Vishen Lakhiani, founder of Mind Valley. Ajit is author of two books, Live Big and The Book of Coaching. He is a passionate coach and teacher who loves sharing ideas and empowering people. In our conversation, we discuss about finding purpose, both spiritual and tactical ways that Ajit shares, taking leap of faith, facing fears, finding coach and being coachable. I enjoyed the deep insights Ajit has to share on a lot of things and I personally was blown away by some of the perspective Ajit shared on this episode about purpose and facing fears. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome back inside this episode. I'm super, super excited to be joined by Ajit. Ajit, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for inviting me, Bijay. I'm excited to talk to you today. So I want to jump straight into this and um, I want to pick a few lines from the book that you have written where it says, do what feels good and you will succeed. Let your dreams be your guide and you will find your purpose. You said this is a bad piece of advice. Can you please explain why do you think so? Well, because what happens is, and this is from a chapter that revolves around passion. And True. a popular advice is follow your passion, follow your passion, follow your passion. That sounds really cool to follow your passion. But the challenge with passion is that passion is fickle. Passion is something that comes and goes. Passion is there today for a thing and then tomorrow it's for another thing. Very few passions actually stay with you for a lifetime. So if you follow your passion... What tends to happen is that as the passion deflates, as it goes away, 
you start to lose momentum towards actually creating something useful for yourself and for the world, right? So my intent to write those lines, and they're kind of out of context if you just say those lines, uh, but if yeah. you keep it in context of passion, you'll understand True. that if you are chasing passion, what you may end up seeing yourself doing is always chasing a different passion. And that is not a recipe for a, a very sustained, successful life is because if you're constantly switching between many variant things, it may give you immediate satisfaction of doing the thing, but it won't give you fulfillment of creating something and contributing something that's long-term and that's valuable to the world and to yourself in life. So what you're trying to say is passion changes over the period of time, which is in contrary to what a lot of people saying, you know, once you find your passion, then you are sorted. So that's what you were saying, right? It's it's yeah, not no, like not that. Sorted. Because think about it like yeah. that. Have you traveled a lot, Bijay? Yeah, yeah, I did. If, if you went to, say, Italy or something like that, you must have loved the Italian food. Or whatever, different parts of India, you might have gone to Rajasthan, where I come from, and must yeah. have loved the Rajasthani food. And suddenly you're mm -hmm. passionate about Rajasthani food. You're like, I want to spread this cuisine everywhere across India and across the world because why are we only, all the restaurants are either South Indian or Punjabi restaurants. Why not have a Rajasthani cuisine? You might get passionate yeah. about it and you may stay passionate for a short period of time, but that does not mean that you'll create a great business around it. That does mm. not mean that that will become your career. That's your passion in the moment. Unless if that passion has sustained over a lifetime, say if you've always been excited about Rajasthani cuisine or cooking generally, it may become a successful career, a successful business, successful life. But if it's something that is a momentary passion, which is most of the passions as people identify them, that's not going to become a sustained career because you're, you're going to lose passion for it the moment you're out of that contagion that got you passionate about it. Say, for example, mm. right? If, if let's take the cuisine example again, right? So you are excited about this particular cuisine. You go out in the world, you start to research. Now you have created a contagion for yourself. You're only listening to people that are talking about restaurants or about this particular cuisine. And you continue to look at that, look at that. And you've built your passion more and more and more because all you're listening to is dialogues around that. Well, one day you get an opportunity to actually talk, travel to a different destination or look at something completely different and you suddenly get excited about that. You create your environment around again to get more and more excited about it. And suddenly you realize your passion for Rajasthani food or whatever cuisine that we were talking about has disappeared, right? It's as important it is to find your passion is to understand what passion really is and where it comes from and what a long-term passion is and what a passion that is on the short term and immediately looking at or listening to someone you get versus the truth of your life. So then what do you suggest is the thing that's worthy changing if it's not passion? What do you suggest? So there are two parts to it. Firstly, is if you want to do work that makes you really happy, find a long-term passion, something that you've always been excited about and give yourself at least five or 10 years timeline to say, I've been excited about this topic for 10 years, five years. Mm something that is extended, like something that's not momentary, that hasn't kept you excited right now, but it has been keeping you excited for a long period of time because there is juice there. There's some meat there for you to be able to really go further and not lose momentum on it. And more importantly is try to find your purpose more than try to find your passion. What's the role that you play in this world? What's the contribution mm -hmm. that you want to make in this world? What's the creation you want to create in this world? What's the value that you want to drive for yourself and for people around you? When you find your purpose, your passion just becomes a conduit. It just becomes a, a way 
for you to fulfill your purpose. And you're not attached to your passion then because your ultimate goal, the ultimate direction that you're going towards in 30, 40, 50 years of your lifetime or 70 years of your lifetime, depending on how long you live and how long, you, how long you're chasing that purpose, it becomes so long-term that you're always excited about it. You don't need something else to pull you through. Your purpose pulls you through. So I you know, come across a lot of people who kind of say, all right, you know what, PJ, I want to do something in my life, but I really don't know what I actually want to do in my life because, you know, they have no idea of what their purpose is. And I'm sure in your coaching assignments or working with a lot of students across the world, you all the time come across these people who say, you know what, Ajit, it sounds awesome, but I don't know what my purpose is. Right? Maybe you can draw examples from your own life or from, you know, some of the people that you have worked with on how... Do you then suggest that people can go and find their purpose in their life? So I would ask a few questions that maybe would invite listeners of this particular conversation into the dialogue of purpose, right? So firstly, I think a lot of us have not stopped and really asked ourselves as to what do we believe about life, right? And that's why it becomes harder to answer all the secondary questions. So what is it that we believe about life? And, and even more importantly, if you're willing to go, what do you believe about death and mortality, right? Uh, because when you ask yourself difficult questions like that, which may, which may challenge you to a way and, and kind of challenges your mind in a way where, where you go, I, I don't know the answer to that and I don't know how to find the answer to that, it does something to your mind. And you need to understand your mind is way more powerful than you have imagined until now, right? And not just something that I'm saying metaphorically or saying something that's out there and you know what's the truth to it. It's very, very true. Our brains are way more powerful than what we have ever imagined, right? Which is why you can operate in this world so easily, even doing complex things like reading, writing, driving, and all of these things, being able to determine how far something is, how close something is. All of that is happening by the microsecond. You don't even realize that it's happening. So your brain is like a supercomputer. Your mind is like a supercomputer. And if you ask your mind difficult questions, like, what do I believe about life? What do I believe about death? What it will do for you is it will give you a belief about how you want to be living, right? So when I ask myself the question about what do I believe about life or what do I believe about death, right? What was evident to me is that in any way I think about life, in any way, it could be scientific if I believe in science, if it could be spiritual, if I believe in religion and karma and all of that stuff. The truth is always that you are nothing in context of the lifetime of the universe, right? You could believe anything, right? If you believe in the ultimate God and you believe there is an afterlife, if you believe in karma, if you believe in you are reborn and rebirth, well, it doesn't matter. Your whole life in the timeline of that doesn't really matter, which means what really matters is what you're doing in the life, not what is the legacy, what's the outcome of life, right? It's the day-to-day, it's the minute-to-minute -minute of the life. If you believe in science, you, we all become bacteria, right? So we have billions of years of life, if you really think about it, because bacteria, as we become bacteria, we just keep going, right? The bacteria has been there, I think, a couple of thousand years based in science before, uh, we existed and the universe is like billions of years old or something. So the bacteria has existed for the longest time and you come, go back, become into energy particles and bacteria, which means, again, your current life is just 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, as long as you live, 
in context of a much larger time frame, irrespective of how you look at it. And because if you look at it that way, what it does for you is it gets you to get really real about what is it that is important right now, right? What is mm-hmm. true right now as a person, right? Right now, what do you do that really is impactful, right? So that begs you to ask a different question once you've understood or believe, and, and you could believe something completely different. I'm just giving an example of my particular mm-hmm. beliefs about life and death, right? Which makes me really comfortable with my current life and the death that is inevitable to everybody, right? And that gets me to go into a real state of saying, I know on the longest term of life or or the being of me as a bacteria or a spiritual sense of energy, in either of the scenarios, what matters is what I create during this particular lifetime and what's the one or two or three things that I think we can help with humanity as we are having Mm. this experience of actually being able to think, being able to even think this as a question. Right, it's a unique opportunity that we all have, right? So once we ask that question, it kind of turns our wheels towards saying, okay, what is it that I can do in this moment that will help me live the greatest of my life, the juiciest of this life, the most Mm -hmm. alive that I would feel on an everyday basis, right? Once that has starts to happen and you start to live the most alive version of you, your purpose starts to come through you. You don't have to mm. find your purpose. Your purpose almost comes to you. It finds you, right? And the reason why that happens is because as you're living the experience of life with the greatest of jai, with the greatest of aliveness, without doubting, without thinking about, I have to get something, I have to be something, but instead saying, what is my greatest expression right now? It gets Mm -hmm. you to operate from this really unique perspective where your purpose becomes really, really clear. It becomes really clear about what is the direction that you want to get into. Now, this is a very spiritual answer that I'm giving. But if you want a tactile, (laughs) what to do, A, B, C, D, let's write down a piece of paper type of answer, the one Mm -hmm. way to find your purpose is to start working towards purposes that make sense to you, right? So say, for example, my experience of life has taught Mm -hmm. me that the greatest experience, and I'm so grateful for my life for right now, because I got out of the situation I grew up in and was able to do something useful in my life because people showed up and helped me. Helped me Mm. learn about life, helped me learn about money, about business, about relationships, about everything, right? I have had mentors in every area of my life, and I'm so grateful because they made my life so much more beautiful than I could have imagined, which made it clear for me as a purpose is that if I can facilitate that for somebody else, that would be life well-lived. That would be life full of purpose, right? Which inspired everything that I do right now. It inspires every action that I take. Anything that I create, any uh, person I support, any company I support, all of them are always aligned with saying that they help other people in different capacity. And because they help other people, I feel my purpose is getting fulfilled or being on this planet because that helped me so much, right? Mm. So if we look at our past, we'll be able to find what that is. And that's a more tactile way of looking at it. But while I say that, I would still invite somebody to really lean into the spirituality of purpose and ask yourself the question of what makes you feel alive every single day and work towards it and your purpose will present to you. And the reason why I say that is because when we think about our past and try to find a purpose through that, often we are also limited by our past. 
we often mm. limit what we could have created because we think our past tells our future story, which is not the truth. Our past is a past story and our future is unseen and is to be created. I think that's a great piece of advice and adding the whole spiritual angle to the person and asking some of those questions. I think that's where, you know, not a lot of us ask those questions to ourselves, right? And uh, also you mentioned about the mentors and I'll come to that section later in this conversation. I want to ask, uh, you know, another thing to you, which is you come from Jaipur and 23 people living under the same roof, which when you were, you know, growing up and like a lot of other Indian families, I'm sure it did not feel like different growing up when you were at that situation uh, because pretty much you were there, right? But when you started going out and exploring and then you started acknowledging it, do you think it ever subconsciously impacted you on your ability to dream bigger and think outside of the box? Meeting other people, being outside the country, being even in the country, I think what was a greater impact in my thinking of thinking bigger was the people that I was interacting with and not holding back or not feeling like I couldn't have an interaction with a particular set of person because I wasn't as rich as them or as successful as them. Yes, it accelerated that path a little bit by being outside the country because there were a lot more people that were willing to have a conversation. In India, sometimes mm -hmm. it tends to get kind of stuck up a little bit and not everybody is that open to a dialogue and a conversation because they feel people want something from them. And I think that's kind mm -hmm. of becomes a barrier. I was fortunate that I had a few people who didn't care and they were willing to support and give me the education and more importantly, the mindset to think about things. Uh, so I was blessed that way. But at the same point of time, I don't think you need to be out of the country to be able to dream big. I think the country itself provided me the opportunity it was a coincidence that I ended up outside the country because the risk and, mm -hmm. and that may your listeners may or may not know my backstory. But the backstory is when I moved out of the country, I wasn't moving to a big company. I was going to work yeah. for a startup. So theoretically, I was doing everything wrong that a person can think about, like from an Indian mother's lens, which is my mother that I've talked about right yeah. now. I was being the most stupid person that could be because I had a safe job where I was getting progress, the founder really trusted me because he was giving me opportunity that nobody should get at like 24, 25. And she was like, what the hell is wrong with you? You've got a great opportunity. Why are you blowing this up by going to this little startup where you're getting paid less, you're getting paid less than what you were yeah. getting paid here in India. That is and in True. a different country, in Malaysia. So it makes no sense or it made no sense at the time. So it has... Yes, to do with people that you meet along the journey, of course, and getting into the mindset because you're in different parts of the world. But it has equally to do with the courage that you show in alignment with where you want to go and what you want to be. I think personally for me, more than being out of the country, I think the courage to make decisions when everything seems all right is a bigger determinant mm -hmm. of where I am today is that even if things looked right, even if things were like, oh, this is so safe, so good, you shouldn't like kind of mess this up. I have always said, let's create deliberate chaos in that situation. I deliberately make the situation mm -hmm. chaotic so I can find the growth, even if everything seems comfortable. So I am anti-comfort in some way. So if you are, you are looking at your yeah. life right now and it's comfortable, Maybe it is time for you to challenge what makes it comfortable and do you want to be in that state? And how can you create deliberate chaos that will actually 
propel you to a reality that you may have only imagined your dreams or you may not have even imagined your dreams. I didn't imagine I'll be doing what I'm doing right now. There was no way. As a 20-year-old kid, I didn't, my dreams were not this big and now my dreams are even bigger. But when I started, my dreams were not even where I am today. I wasn't expecting that one day Vijay will be interviewing me, trying (laughs) to figure out what the hell and how do I think and what do I think about coaching and so forth. No, that was nowhere in my vision board if you'll ask my 20-year-old self. But if you ask my 30-year-old self, my 35-year-old self now, well, I have bigger dreams and and we'll see how far I go and probably further than that because I'll achieve those and then some more, right? So I think it's it's a lot more about courage than the reality of country that you're in. True. So th- which leads me to the end of the question, which was, and this is on taking that leap of faith, right? So whether that was leaving India and going to this tiny startup called Mind Valley at that point of time and, you know, starting there as an intern and paving your path up to become a CEO at one point of time. And then, you know, saying that, okay, this is done. I didn't want to be CEO anymore, stepping down and then starting on a new adventure of starting, you know, Evercoach and doing the things that you thought, okay, this is the next adventure that I want to do, right? So now people are afraid of taking those kind of leaps that you have been able to take, whether that's, you know, going to the tiny startup or leaving that after you have made it, right? You know, that kid in, when you move to Malaysia, that's the one thing that you could only dream, right? Becoming CEO of the company at one day. And then you were there and then you said, okay, screw it. Now I want to take another leap. So how did you build the mindset to face the fear of failure and uncertainty and still take that leap? So, Let's ask ourselves a a different question. And again, it kind of leans back into the idea of how you perceive life, right? Mm -hmm. What happens as human beings is we always want certainty, right? We always want some sense of security. That's just our DNA as human beings. doesn't matter where you live because that's how thousands of years of programming has been, right? There, there were recently we have technological booms and so there's a certain sense of security generally, but until before that, what was security? You didn't know if there would be a drought in the country and you didn't know if there would be food. Uh, there was economy was uncertain. We were ruled by a completely different country a few years ago, not even a hundred years ago, like 70 years ago or something. Yeah. There was no certainty of life. And so we have held to the idea of that we want certainty, right? Because if you can Mm -hmm. get certainty, it feels like you're safe, right? And we are chasing that safety. All of us are, right? Inherently, that's our desire. And if you go even further back, then we were looking for safety, which is why we were trying to hide in caves in the night. So the tiger or the lion doesn't eat us, right? So, So we've been chasing security for the longest period of time in our lives. But one thing that is true about life is that it is not safe. Life itself is a very uncertain phenomenon. Nobody predicted we'll have coronavirus in 2020, right? Everybody was setting out 2020 to be the year that 2020, like that's the year, you know, it's a number 20 yeah. and 20 <laughs> is going to be my year. Like everybody started the year thinking that, right? And then boom, we got hit by this pandemic and there are so many things that are happening back to back. Now we are all scared for the economy as to what's going to happen because of all the shutdowns and businesses going out of business and so on and so forth, right? All that stuff is happening right now. Nobody predicted that. Nobody could have predicted that, right? There's a lot of uncertainty that life generally has to offer. So the question really that we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to live life as life presents us and, mm-hmm. and creates for us? Because it could be so much fun leaning into that uncertainty, 
or we're going to give it to our mental bias of always wanting security, right? Because our mind is always going to go, let's find some security here, right? Let's find some security here and let's, oh, how can I be safe, right? That's what happens with our kids as well, right? We're always trying to save them. But but at the same point in time, the kids that grow up in uncertainty and are always looking at life as it unfolds seem to be the most brightest kids ever. Like they're always looking at opportunity that is to come instead of the security that they have. So early on in my life, I used to be very scared. I used to be yeah. scared. I came from a background where I had to be in a way like the way I grew up. Right. So my dad was OK, entrepreneur, like they were in the gems and jewelry industry, like everybody in Jaipur is. Uh, but he wasn't a successful one, right? So one of the big things that we learned as we were growing up is I just grow up, get a job because jobs mm. are safe. Uh, and as yeah. an entrepreneur, he had to struggle all his life. So one of the big narratives was get a job, get a job, become an engineer, get a job, get a job, right? And he was operating from a place of his own fears, which is fine. But that's that's kind of the fear that I grew up in, which is why I took jobs with other companies, even if my DNA or my desire always was to be an entrepreneur, right? So I would go join a company and then do a startup with them. And then I would go join Mindvalley as an intern and work with them for six, eight years and, and really blow them up, but not really take the risk of starting a company myself. But I always started s- small companies on the side and keep selling them here and there, right? Yeah. And, and the reason was because I, that was my DNA always, right? So as a person, if you get clear about who you are and what you are, which is... I know now what I am. I am a person that wants security but loves uncertainty. I love the game of what am I going to do now that I'm in this situation. If that is taken away from me, it's almost like you take away the juice of life from me, right? And I feel most of us are like that. We may not operate that way. But our DNAs are designed for uncertainty because that's also how we always lived, right? As much as we found a cave to sleep in the night, in the morning we'll go out hunting, not knowing if we'll come back, right? Mm. We would go and find the safety for our families, but go fight for freedom, not knowing if we'll come back, right? So we, as much as we want security for our families in some sense of it, Inherently, we also like the risk of life. We like the uncertainty of life. We like the play of life. So I think it's more about saying what is really true for you and how much is true for you. For me, it was really, really true that I, as much as I, yes, want some security, I love the uncertainty of life. So I choose more of that. But I do lean into security. Like I have, I've been fortunate in the past decade or so that I've done work in businesses and helped build businesses that I have created a, a, a decent cushion for myself where I don't feel that I won't be able to feed my family tomorrow, right? That's not the state I am in, which also puts me at a greater possibility of taking a bigger risk and a bigger uncertainty and play a bigger game, right? So that's kind of how you want to measure it is to ask yourself what's really true to you. Like really discovering yourself is, I think, one of the, the least done, but mm. arguably the most important thing to do. Like how many of us really sit down, especially India, sit down and not listen to anybody else, but really introspective who we are. If right now, as I say this, I could think of maybe two people that I know in my life who have sat down and really introspected and said, what is true to me, what's honest to me, and what I've got to do about it. Maybe two people that pop into my mind right now. Most of everybody Mm. else is operating from what the world wants them to be, not what they want to be. 
I think that's really, really powerful, Ajit, because the reconditioning, which you mentioned about, right? So the conditioning that you grew up with, which was parents or the society wanting to impose their fears on us. And then we leave with that. And then, you know, that somehow, you know, that affects us in whatever we might do in the life and which you also mentioned about getting that fear from your dad, right? And for which now one is acknowledging and understanding who you truly are. And then operating from that, which you uh, mentioned about reflecting on that, right? And the another thing could be reconditioning of some of those really limiting belief that has been imposed or the conditioning that you have grown up with. So is there anything that you'd like to recommend people? You know, now I'm talking more from the maybe let's say tactical perspective of the things like, hey, how can you go about maybe reconditioning some of those things so that it don't become barrier in your success? So the number one thing that I can recommend tactical-wise is firstly, you should write down where you want to go. It's very practical that you need to do this and a lot of people don't do it and don't write where you want to be by end of this year, write where you want to be in 10 years from now. The reason why I want you to write that is because when you have that vision of where you want to go, it brings tremendous amount of clarity towards what you need to become to get there and then you can work on what's stopping you. Right. So first, the most important thing is to write down in 10 years from now, where would you be and visit it again and again, because as you visit it again and again, as you look at it again and again, it reminds your mind consciously and subconsciously. That's what I need to become to get to that outcome. Right. If you want to be a particular if you want to have certain amount of wealth, you want a particular kind of relationship. And please, when you please make your goals. Don't limit yourself with money. This is number one. This is one of those classic problems everybody has. I tell people to write goals and all I see is how much money they're going to make, what car they're going to drive. It's fine. That's very materialistic. That's the easiest part of your journey. Ask yourself what kind of life you'll live, what kind of work you will do, what kind of uh, person you'll be with if you're in a relationship. If you'll have kids, what the kid's life are going to be because that is where true fulfillment lies. So write down exactly where you want to be or some version of where you want to be in 10 years from now, right? Because once you will write that down, you can now look at what is it today that you need to change about your life so you can be that person in 10 years because where you want to be in 10 years, firstly, you can be there in the next five, even in the next three. A lot of times time itself as a concept is made up in our mind in a way that certain things take a certain amount of time. I couldn't have been where I am in the past three years, four years since I started doing Evercoach, five years actually at the time that I'm doing this interview, I'm not supposed to be as successful theoretically from a business lens of things practical steps wise. I shouldn't be where I am today, but I am here today because I wrote down my 10 year goals and I knew that the time will collapse itself to make it happen for me because I'll become the person I need to be to be able to get to that goal, right? Mm -hmm. So. That's one thing that you need to understand. So firstly, write your 10-year goals and hope for it to come through in the next three, right? Mm. Now that you know what the 10-year goal is, ask yourself the question, what is it that I need to become? Or what is that person that will have that goal achieved? What's that person looking like? What is it that they believe and what is it that they don't believe, right? So mm. you will find, let's say, for example, and I, I'm relating back to uh, a money goal because it's easier to relate to because yeah. the numbers and we learn numbers and so it's like tactile, so it's a little bit easier to relate to. But say you say, I want to be, uh, and I, because this is published in India, so I'm just going to say a karodpati, right? Yeah. You want to be a karodpati, right? You're like, I want to be a karodpati. That's what I want to be. All right, fine. You want to be a karodpati. 
what is a crorepati's attitude like towards money right they're not thinking about how can i save 2 bucks 1 buck 5 bucks they're asking where can i put my money that it doubles every single time i put in it right mm-hmm. where can i put my money where i get 30% return on it and not 5% fixed deposit money back right they're asking yeah. a different question they're not asking the question you're asking they're asking a different question and because that mindset is different now you can go and go well, what is it that i believe that is not congruent to the person's belief that i need to become wow. in 10 years right yeah because if that belief is not matching your actions not going to match right and if your actions not going to match that thing ain't happening right that will just wow. be a dream it will never become a reality so you want to find what's that gap and then work on that belief dismantle those beliefs and create new ones wow i think that's very profound as it you know contrasting yourself against what you want to be and and i think that's a great way to just challenge your belief that you have and then at the same time you are introducing yourself to the new beliefs that you want to have that's just so profound so you come from india and one of your mother's favorite dialogue like any other mothers in india is log kya kahenge right what will people think of you know you defying the convention path whether that's in career or life or whatever and everyone talks about you know what you should not give a damn about what other thinks of you and um, you know it's is easier said than done right and then you talk about zero fucks given gfg what kind of understanding you need to have to land on that space of gfg and especially coming from the place like india where the social pressure or the you know the, the people trying to impose their expectations on you more than i think anywhere else there are many folds so it is it is a practice thing so first of all especially if you live in india because it'll come at you in many different ways you need to know that that's the attitude you want to build and then you want to work towards it right and you want to constantly see where is it that you're having an impression from somebody else's opinion of you and then and and then correct it so everything that i'm going to say know that you may not be able to implement immediately it takes a little practice right so it is it is difficult especially in an indian setting what you want to ask yourself is and this is the exercise that i did right so i like any other child it was always look at kanga it was always a comparison with my very smart intelligent you know getting great grades uh, cousins all the time right that's just the story of indian education and, yeah. and kids in india <laughs> right so that was the same for my story right and very early on in my life i started to ask myself the question is that what are these people contributing to my life uh, an uncle comes and says beta par lo or whatever you should do this else you'll not be successful i said what is it that he's actually contributing to my life like is he actually helping me or is he just saying things right mm-hmm. it was very early on in my life that in my teens i started to ask if this person comes into my life right now is he saying if you don't do well i'll support you put in your best effort he's not saying that is he saying if you do well i'll support you he's not saying that and he's not doing that and i could see that as experience around me that everybody's saying things to other thing other people but nobody's really doing anything to help each other right it's very rare that you find people who say if you fall down i'll pick you back up but at least try that it's only your family wow. that's doing it nobody else is doing it everybody's talking about it right mm and because i started to ask that question and uh, later on in life i realized why people do that right but in those early stages i started to question why should i listen to somebody else and it was very beautifully put by in, in a movie called three idiots i'm sure in india mm. people would know that movie 
There's towards yeah. the end of the movie, there's R. Madhavan trying to become a photographer. I don't remember the name of his character, but he's the actor that was in the shot. And he's trying to become a photographer and he's about to, I think, go for an interview, but his friends tell him that you should go because you've been selected by this photographer to go around and shoot wildlife or whatever, right? So yeah. he goes to his father and he says one particular line that has stuck with me. He said, Sharma ji ne mere liye scene lagwaya tha, aapne lagwaya tha. So all I care is what you think. I don't care what they think. Right. That line has stuck with me because I think that was the best instance of somebody encapsulating exactly how I thought in my very teen years. I was like, that's exactly what I thought. If anybody that I cared for is people who really contributed to my life because everybody else is just saying things. And later in life, I realized why people say things. People say things not to put you down, but to make themselves feel better. They couldn't do something is why they want you to do something. But that's not true to you. So there's no point for you to do it, right? They're trying to find their happiness in your activity or find their happiness in your demise, right? Because that's the bullshit that they're dealing with. And if we mm. give into their bullshit, what have we become as a person? We are just accumulation of a lot of bullshit, Right? If I give in to every person that tells me what I should do or could do, all I have become is a mix of all the bullshit that the world has to give to me. Where is me mm -hmm. in that mix? Where is my authenticity? Where is my honesty? Where is my truth about life? It's not there. All it is is, is everybody's crap being thrown at mm -hmm. me and me taking it as if it is my own thing. But it's not my thing and I shouldn't care. And that, once I understood how people think, how people who are telling you things think, it changed it even further. I have stopped giving any care unless the person who's sharing with me is really interested in supporting my journey. If you're interested in supporting my journey, I'm all ears, right? Because I want to know what you think, because you will be honest with me, because you actually want to be a supporter. You also actually want to contribute. And they're good people like that. Right? that actually want to do something for you because you have done something for them or you have presented an opportunity that they have never thought of before or without even you knowing, you have somehow uplifted them or whatever that may be, right? These people actually care. For them, I'm all ears. Tell me all about how I can be a better person. I will listen to it. But I'm not yeah. listening to somebody just trying to impose their life or their successes and failures on me that I'm not interested in. Wow. I must say here, you know, you have given a totally new perspective on that context. One of the things that has helped me to shut uh, to the people who were always trying to impose their fears on me or trying to make them believe in what they believe was just that understanding that for, you know, just to take an example here. So my dad has this belief, right? People are not trustworthy and you cannot trust people because uh, that's the kind of people that he might have interacted throughout his life and he might have you know been betrayed and when he see me trusting someone completely whether in business or in life and he goes you know what you shouldn't really be doing that and then you know i took um i stepped back and asked myself hey why is it 
uh, in that he's saying so. Because I have never encountered somebody who betrayed to me or whoever cheated to me, whether that's in business or life or generally speaking. Uh, but why is he saying that, you know, people are not trustworthy? And then I realized the kind of people that my dad interacted or the, the kind of people that he was surrounded with were always the people, you know, whom he felt are the people you cannot trust. And because of that, you know, that evolved as his belief over the period of time. And I said, you know what, that's your thought process. And I don't have to believe because that's based on your experience of the interaction with the world. And that has helped me a lot in not believing in what other people, you know, try to say and give me their perspective. But what you have shared right now about this understanding in itself, like, I mean, that can completely transform the way people who think about someone else's opinion. I think that's that's a great advice there, Ajit. Thank you so much for that. So, which also lead us to the another thing about now then, you want to surround yourself with the mentors and the people who really care about you and who want you to succeed, right? So now that, you know, with the Evercoach, you coach a lot of people. And by the time people must have realized Ajit is asking a lot of questions here and, you know, asking people to go into the, you know, more deeper rather than just giving, okay, go do and do it. It's not about just giving you those suggestions and tips saying that, okay, one, two, three here, but go and ask yourself and figure it out for yourself. And I think, you know, that's what a real coach does, right? So how would your life have been different if it was not for the mentors that, you know, you were surrounded by and the people who came and lend their hand to, you know, help you on this journey? I think life would have been very different. I mean, one of the most obvious thing that probably would have happened would have been that I would have become an engineer and gotten the job. <laughs> and I would have lived my life like that. Uh, and a lot of my friends ended up doing that. So nothing wrong with that. If that's the desire of a person, that's the desire of the person. But that's that's what my life would have been. And yeah, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have been happy. But sure, that would that would have been the case for sure. Yeah. So for the people who have never had mentors in their life or the coaches or teacher in their life, uh, obviously not the academic teacher I'm talking about, the people about the people who teach you about the life, right? So, and for the people, especially, you know, as I mentioned, for the people who never had mentors, when they see some shiny object there or when they see somebody, oh, okay, he looks like, you know, somebody I can absolutely follow without knowing whether if that person is really something that they can call a mentor. So is there anything that you look personally before you bring someone in your life as a mentor or a coach? Well, if you're hiring a coach, it's a different answer. And if you're looking for a mentor, when you are just getting started and you don't know what to do is two different answers. So firstly, if you're looking for a mentor and you've never had one in your life, ask yourself the question why that was the case. And the reason why I'm asking that question is because sometimes uh, that is the case because you were presenting yourself as a person that is not willing to listen, is not willing to understand what the person has to offer. You see, I believe there are a lot more kind-hearted, fearless people in the world than we give credit to. My first mentor was not a coach that I hired. My first mentor was a school teacher. She was the vice mm. principal of our school. And she was kind enough to, to help me see things that I would have never seen. Like she was probably the first, but there were a lot of teachers who were very kind and gave a lot of free advice, but they were mostly around studies. And this was the first teacher that went past studies and showed me the possibilities of life. So I'm very grateful for her. So there must be, or could have been a teacher like that in your life. The question is more so that were you willing to listen? 
out of the whole batch of, uh, I mean, my classroom alone was 60 students. I think my whole batch was probably 300 students. Maybe she mentored three, right? Because maybe we were the only three that were willing to listen to what she was saying and not just go, oh, she's a teacher, you know, like she talks. No, we were actually like interested in what she was talking about. So first ask yourself the question, why didn't mentors show up? Because good, kind-hearted people want to show up if they see you wanting that advice, wanting that mentorship, right? So firstly, think about if you are even coachable, if you are somebody who is looking for the greater excitement of life, right? So people can contribute to it because if there is nothing that you're seeking, there is no teacher that is going to show up, right? You have to seek uh, for that insight, that knowledge for, for for the trainer, the teacher, the mentor, the coach to show up in your life, right? So that's the first thing. So if you've never had an experience like that, I would invite you to look inwards first and see how do I become more coachable. If you have had mentors in life and you're looking for the next best mentor, I'll invite you to ask yourself the question of what is the goal that you're trying to get to and who's the best person that can help you get there, right? So it's not about a particular methodology of coaching. It's not about a particular way of coaching. It's all about your goals and alignment to that goal. So say, for example, if you're somebody who is having a hard time with relationships and is not finding the greatest joy in your relationship, and that's your goal that you want to fulfill, you want to find somebody whose value aligned with you, but also focuses on the area of relationships. And the reason why you want to find that synchronicity is because if they're not talented in being able to help a relationship, you can have value alignment, but they won't actually be able to help you because they have no um, understanding of how it works and doesn't know how to really tangle between two parties and what are some of the tools they can use to really build a relationship. But the first thing is always the value alignment, because if they don't believe the same things that you do, you will find a challenge of being able to really interact with them and find that what they are sharing is useful to you because you'll most likely shut them out really fast because value-wise, you're a different person to them. So that's the two variables that you want to look at if you want to find a coach to to work with if you already had some interactions of mentorship and coaching. So what are some of the characteristics per se that you have seen on the people who are not coachable because you have already worked with so many mentees and you have coached so many people in your life. So, and how can one start being coachable? Coachability or being coachable is purely about curiosity. If you are a curious person, you are coachable, most likely. If you're not curious about life and if you believe that you know everything about life, you're not coachable. That's really the difference between uh, coachability and non-coachability, which is also, and I don't recall the name of the author just yet, but they have uh, used the terms growth mindset and fixed mindsets to explain the same concept, where they say if somebody is stuck in the reality and have been stuck in the reality for so long that they believe that they know everything about life, and they have strong beliefs and they're hard to mold, they're in a fixed mindset. Mm. Then there are individuals who are in a growth mindset, which is where they go that I know enough about life, but at the same time, I'm open to knowing or learning more things. And I don't know everything, but I know enough things. That's a growth mindset. Somebody who's wanting to look at life differently. And that's really the difference that you want to think about. So you want to ask yourself, if somebody is on this conversation, listening to this conversation going, am I coachable or not? is ask yourself the question, are you curious about growth? If you are, you're most likely coachable. Now, there are many sub-elements, mm-hmm. right? Will you listen to somebody? Will you actually take yeah. action? But let that responsibility lie on the coach instead of lying on you. 
let the responsibility of saying, am I willing to grow? Do I want to grow from here? And am I curious to know how? If the answer is yes to both those questions, seek out a coach and let them work through how to get you to listen better, how to help yeah. you really take action towards things that you're listening to. Let that be the coach's job. So do you believe in the concept of surrendering to the mentor completely? No, there is no surrender to the mentor. A, a good mentor would not want you to surrender completely. Absolutely not. So think about it like this. What, what is surrender completely? Surrendering to life completely, I totally believe. But surrendering to a mentor is almost like giving away all your power. It's like mm. saying, whatever you say, boss, I'm just going to do it. Then yep. might as well get a job with the guy or the gal, right? What's the point of hiring them? There is no surrender to a mentor. If a good mentor, a good coach would never say, this is the truth of life and you must believe it. They would always debate with you. They will always have a conversation with you. They will always be open-minded. If they are not open-minded, unfortunately, they are in a fixed mindset and you don't want them as your coach, if that's the case, right? Because they will not grow. And because they will not grow, they will keep you stuck for the matter. They have now, now if you give them the surrender and the power, you have actually given them the power to keep you in a fixed mindset forever and ever and ever. Why would you want to do that? No, don't give in. To, don't surrender to your mentor. Challenge your mentor. Have a conversation with your mentor. Have have a challenging conversation with your coach. There is nothing wrong with that. Be curious at the same point. So if you're challenging and they have an appropriate answer, don't be stubborn about your challenge. Listen to what's been presented and see if it feels right to your soul or to your intellect. However, depending on the type of conversation you're having, and if it is sounding right, well, then take that advice and use it and see if it works for you. Put it on and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, well, take the next one, right? That's kind of how you want to do uh, or how you want to think about coaching. Super. So before we move to the enlightening round where I'm going to ask you some questions and you know you can give shorter answers, I have one last question to you, Ajit. So when you find yourself in stress what are some of the questions you find yourself asking to yourself when you know you are stressed let's say so stress i would qualify stress would lead to some kind of emotion or let me just categorize stress as an emotion itself and i would ask anytime i get emotional about anything i i ask myself the question why is this a situation or this emotion presenting itself to me and if that emotion is being presented because of an event i usually would question the factness or truth of that event. So say, for example, if uh, I am feeling stressed about my relationship with my wife, uh, who was previously on your show, Nita, let's say if I'm feeling stressed about that, I would go, okay, why is it that I'm feeling stressed? It may be because something that happened between me and her that is getting me to feel stressed. And most likely it would be something that has to do with an event that happened, a thing she said, a thing I said, a thing that happened outside of us that I made a meaning towards that is causing that stress for me, right? So say she said maybe something that is, say, mean to me right in that moment. And I might go, oh, that's the truth about me. And I take it as a truth about me. And so now I'm stressed about it. If I separate that and I say, no, that's not the truth about this conversation. The truth about this conversation, that's how she felt is why she said. And there could be many variables that led her to feel that way, which means it's not the truth about me. Is truth about that conversation and that event that separates the emotion from the event. And when you separate the emotion from the event, the emotion loses power, right? Because the event is all that it is. It's just an event which has no particular meaning. I'm going to give it the meaning that I need to give, right? I've given it a default meaning that led me to stress uh, 
but I don't really need to give it a default meaning. I can give it a different meaning and suddenly I don't have stress. So if I'm stressed or I have a situation or any type of emotion, usually this is the process that I would go through. It takes about five to seven minutes once you have the awareness that you're having the emotion. That's awesome. All right. Now it's time for the enlightening round. Are you ready for this? Yes, go for it. What inspires you to do everything that you do? My purpose. Which one daily habit do you believe has been game changer for you in your success journey? Meditation and hugging my wife. Best piece of advice you have ever received in your life? It's all going to be okay. What was the one wrong belief you held for the longest in your life? Uh, I'm an Indian man with an accent. I cannot be successful in a global environment. Share more about that. Well, there was a friend of mine. So what had happened was there was a point in my life where I had, of course, supported many companies, become really, really successful. And I was like, hey, listen, I would love to be on the stage. This was just one of the things that was a way for me to continue to express my purpose through me is to take my own dialogue out to the world. And I was talking to this friend of mine and and they and they were a really good friend. They were mentor and everything. They still are. And and they said, Well, but Ajit, you are like a brown man with an accent. I don't think people are really wanting to hear that. Like this is a space for white people, to be very honest, is kind of what they said. I was like, Well, maybe you're right, because this person is outrageously successful in the same space. So I believed it to be true for a very long period of time until I, there was another friend who said the exact opposite and said, that is why your voice needs to be heard because you're a brown man with an accent. Because of you, a lot of people will believe and live their purpose. So you should go do it. And so I started trying to do it. And then, of course, slowly but surely, that belief was eliminated. Wow. What do you want to be remembered for? I don't necessarily care for legacies that much. I would love to be remembered as a great father and a great husband and a great friend uh, to the people that I'm with, a great kid to my parents. That's what I would like to be remembered as. Could you share a book or two that has influenced you personally in the recent past? Man, I read so much. There's so many books that have influenced sure. me. Which one was the recent one? I'm, I'm reading this book by uh, this lady, Glennon Doyle, called Untamed Life or Untamed Me, one of those two names. Uh, fantastic book. It's her memoir about her coming out as, as a gay person. I think it's it's beautiful. If you were to start this journey all over again, what are those three things that you would have done differently? I think there's one thing that I definitely I would do differently is believe in myself a lot more than I did initially. So could you share some online tool or app that you use on a regular basis? Maybe that has helped you in becoming better organized, disciplined or anything. Reminders. Like I have a reminder app that just reminds me of tasks that I need to do. Yeah. Pretty simple. Awesome, Ajit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have one last question to ask to you. But before that, if people would like to reach out to you and learn more about you and your work, what would be the best possible way? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Ajit Navlaka. So that would probably be the best place. All right. I'll put that up on the description. So here's the last question for you, Ajit. Now, imagine that you are standing on a stadium and this one is the largest stadium that has ever been built in the history of the world and there are millions and millions of people on that stadium and there you are on stage and you have to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life you have been given only one minute of the time what would be your message well i'll i'll craft that message a lot more beautifully but what's coming to me right now is i would remind everyone that we are one humanity and that we can live as one universe and one being, if I may, that if we could love uh, each other a little bit more and if we could serve each other a little bit more, 
uh, we will be able to live our beautiful lives in the most beautiful ways and have the greatest experience on this planet. Awesome. It has been phenomenal conversation, Aziz. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Vijay. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Inspiring Talk. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode with Ajit Nawalkar. If you did, make sure that you share this episode by visiting the show notes page at theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 9393. You can access all the links and resources by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 9393. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.